everyone. I am so happy to have you joining me for another episode of One in Five from Bully to Healed. Today is with great honor to introduce such an outstanding man with numerous accolades, including being a head pageant judge, a brand storyteller, and a professional speaker. With this track record, along with his incredible personality, you would never guess that between elementary school and college, he was bullied by his peers and even his own family members. He was one of the 9 out of 10 students bullied for being gay, according to Stop Out Bullying. This alarming statistic includes any student who identifies as LGBTQ. Through the painful physical, verbal, and relational bullying he experienced, Chris Wilshire is transforming this hurt into a beautiful mission as an inspiration to LGBTQ youth everywhere. Chris, thank you so much for calling into my show today to continue being the inspiration that you are. Oh my goodness, Jacqueline, it's my honor. I'm so excited to be here with you and really the, the honor and the pleasure is all mine. Oh, I really appreciate you saying that. Well, I'm even more honored to have someone like you on here to discuss such an important topic that's talked about so much, but it seems that not enough action is being taken to eradicate this issue. Yeah, absolutely. So to start off this conversation, I want to take our listeners back to when the bullying first started for you, elementary school. Would you care to share about this experience to help our smallest LGBTQ students who were going through a similar situation? Yeah, uh, I would be happy to, Jacqueline. And, you know, just a, a little self-deprecating humor, I am quite a bit older than, than you are. And so when I was the age that these young students are, things were quite a bit different. You know, we've progressed so, so very much in the last really 20, 30 years in terms of, you know, issues around LGBTQ youth and, and, and things. And even though bullying is still obviously going on and still something that you and I are so passionate about eradicating, you know, I think from an understanding perspective, we've come so far. So, I mean, I think when I was that age, it was difficult for me. I didn't know who to turn to, you know, teachers weren't really trained up on it and school resources and guidance counselors weren't really familiar with it being something that, you know, a lot of students were coming to them about. So I think that we've come a long way in that regard. So I just wanted to say that I think, you know, students, if they are suffering from this, of, of course, it's it's just as getting as it was to me all those years ago. But hopefully the environment around them is a little bit more well prepared to handle the situation and help them. That's a very valid point that you say that it definitely was so much different for you back then. And really, in a lot of ways, I think it was more difficult for you than it is today. However, if you look at the mutation of technology, that makes it a lot harder for LGBTQ yeah. youth versus how it was for you back then. So it's kind of a give and take yes, kind of situation. That's true. There's new forms of bullying that didn't even exist when I was that age. You know, cyberbullying was not even a thing back then because you know there was no internet and you know I grew up in the 80s but yeah back then you know to kind of answer your question I was quite young when I started to get bullied and I, I always felt like I was just a little bit different I always tended to gravitate toward female friends even you know on the schoolyard and on the on the block where I lived and so I uh, was always kind of hanging out with other young girls and so I definitely started getting picked on at a very early age for that. And 
I think in terms of the youngest people that you might be helping or that, you know, their parents may be listening, I would say certainly, you know, go to a school resource and let them know about it. If it's happening in or around school, certainly, you know, let a parent know or an older adult that you trust. You know, I think it's important that you can go to someone that you trust. Maybe it may not be a parent or maybe it's an aunt or an uncle or an older brother or sister or an older friend or a friend of your older brother or sister, but just someone that you can trust that you know will be able to kind of help talk it through with you. And I think, you know, if it is happening to you and it's quite severe and you're very young, I think just trying to not really be alone. I think so often we find that bullying, they prey on young people that they think are lonely or are alone or walking home alone from school or just maybe don't have as many friends and they kind of see them as an easy target. So I think it's important to, if you realize that this is happening to you or to your child or to your younger sibling, that to just really work to make sure that they're not alone and in a vulnerable position. That really is very true what you're saying. It's such a cliche thing that we all hear, oh, you're not alone, you're not alone, but true words can't be spoken. Not to repeat myself over and over again, but it is so true. When people hear you're not alone, there's this sense of comfort that you feel. I mean, even between you and me, we were each bullied for different reasons, but we still weren't alone in our experiences because we were both picked on for who we are. Yeah. Absolutely. I think as soon as early as you may be recognizing that you're being bullied, I think it's not never too soon to go to someone that you can trust and yes. talk about it so that you can really understand what's happening to you and try to see if you can stop it. Yes. And the key word is trust. And as you had said before, family, a teacher, a school supervisor, even your mental health counselor, somebody that you can trust with all of your heart, because you know that they have your back and they're going to take action to help you immediately. Yeah, absolutely. Before we started our show today, you revealed to me that you understood you were gay by the time you began middle school. So since you were able to identify this aspect of you at that point in your life, do you believe that this helped ease up the bullying at all or did it worsen for you? It was a dichotomy because it did worsen for sure because I think my peers began to sense that about me as well. Growing up in the 80s, you know, as a gay young boy, you know, definitely it was not as well accepted to be gay at that time. And mm -hmm. so I definitely tried to hide it. But then again, it was hard to hide, you know, as much as I tried to act like the rest of the boys, you know, it was just difficult to be worried about how I was acting and what other people were thinking of me and still succeed in school. I was very active in a lot of school activities and I was a very good student and I really was involved in a lot of extracurricular things with music and drama and the arts and uh, all kinds of clubs in middle school. And so... I really wanted to, to be successful, and so I, I was quite worried about my schoolwork and my extracurricular activities, and I didn't want to have to worry about someone, you know, finding out that they picked up on a perception that maybe I was a little bit different. So, I mean, it definitely did get worse in middle school, but me understanding that at my essence and in my core, I knew I was gay, it did help me at least understand why they might be picking on me. And at least that moment of realization really helped me kind of change the trajectory of how I handled it. And even though the bullying got worse, 
my coping mechanisms got better as I understood what it was that I was being bullied for. That's really, really interesting that you're saying that and how wonderful it is that you were able to modify your coping mechanisms at such a young age because I think that middle school students aren't really processing why they're being bullied or what is even happening. So for you to be 20 steps ahead in that regard was so amazing for you. And I'm so happy that you were able to kind of like piece everything together in the face of your bullies. Yeah, it was really crucial for me because once I understood it, I was able to compartmentalize it to an extent and really just understand that it was something I couldn't change. And so I had to learn how to better react to the situation because I knew the bullying wasn't going to stop, right? I knew Mm -hmm. that the students and the other people that were picking on me for whatever reasons, you know, and I know we'll get into that a little bit more in terms of you know, that, but I think I knew it wasn't going to stop anytime soon. And so that just helped me realize that I needed to deal with it a little bit differently internally. Absolutely. If you wouldn't mind sharing, can you just summarize what happened to you in middle school? Maybe give an example or two of what your bullies had done to you? Sure. And just to set the stage a little bit by middle school, as I said, I did know I was gay. I was already in the instrumental music program, so I played the flute, which didn't help, not to be funny, but the perception of, I mean, I was the only boy that was playing the flute, um, so definitely got picked on a lot for that. I was one of the only boys in the choir in middle school, so definitely that was, again, another point of differentiation that just kind of really made my tormentors kind of, it gave them a lot of material to pick on me for. Um, I dressed a little bit different. I was starting to kind of express myself a little bit more and wanting to really kind of have fun with fashion. I wasn't like necessarily wearing like gender bending clothes or anything like that, but definitely was wearing clothes that were just like a little bit more fun and a little bit more um, colorful. And definitely there was noticeable things about me that caused others to pick on me. So it definitely was was something that, that happened a lot to me in middle school. And really, it varied from verbal abuse. You know, luckily, through the course of my bullying, I was never physically assaulted to, to a point where, you know, I was in danger. I was never, like, stuffed into a locker. I was never, you know, really physically attacked, you know, to any large extent. So I I feel lucky that it was mostly verbal abuse and threats and being, you know, called horrible, horrible names and, you know, being avoided at the lunch table and, you know, no one wanting to sit with me and, you know, just in class being embarrassed by being heckled and being yelled at and being called horrible names. But luckily it never really got really, really violent. So I I feel lucky because I know so many of our youth in the LGBTQ space, especially gender nonconforming youth, could really be even physically bullied. Yeah. How many times have we seen that in the media? The LGBTQ community is much more accepted, but yet we keep seeing the same thing happening in the media. It's it's really mind boggling that something like this would still be occurring today. But nonetheless, with taking action, like doing this interview, like you're doing with me, you're helping your community so much to not just be called your community, but just be a normal part of the world. That's how it needs to be recognized. And you're helping to move that in the right direction. Yeah, well, we can all play a part. And I think that, 
just shining a light on it like you're doing. It's amazing. I think that, you know, when, when we combine all of our efforts, you know, we can really have a huge ripple effect. Maybe you and I will touch, you know, 10 lives or 20 lives or 30 lives, you know, on this broadcast or maybe even 300 lives. Who knows? But, you know, that ripple effect that we start, we have to take action and kind of speak about it, you know, in settings like this with our families, with our friends. You know, we really have to be much more vocal about this in order to get it out into the open and really discuss it. Communication is key. I have my master's degree in communication and I have learned so much throughout that, especially about communicating for the LGBTQ community. And that's what all this boils down to is just being to communicate with one another without having to argue so much to come from more of an understanding perspective on both ends. Yeah, absolutely. Going into high school for you, I'm assuming that the bullying got even worse just based off of your experience from middle school. So what was the worst encounter you endured as an LGBTQ victim of bullying during that time? Well, you know, high school was an interesting age. I don't know if you've spoken to other LGBT victims of bullying at that age, but that is certainly when a lot of the other high school boys were really beginning to go through, obviously, crazy hormones and really beginning to feel like they wanted to act like a man. And so I think the hormones really exacerbated things and made it much, much worse because the young men in my high school that were bullying me really were just beginning to feel much more emboldened that, you know, they wanted to be a big tough guy. And so they picked on who they perceived as someone that was weak, you know, and even though I was probably weak externally, I joke that I was even picked on in gym class because I couldn't do the uh, pull-ups for some reason. Even today, I struggle with pull-ups. I work out. I, you know, am a lot stronger than I used to be in high school, but I still can't do those pull-ups very well. But the worst of it really was in the locker rooms, you know, when we had to change for gym class, the, the guys were just terrible. You know, they would taunt me and tease me and do lewd and unkind things to me, and they would just really threatened me. And, you know, like I said, luckily, you know, they didn't all always or ever really carry out their threats. But of course, the threats were terrifying at the time. Of course, I, I hear you 100%. I never was threatened. But being bullied for so long, I can understand the volume of that threat and how much fear that that stirs inside of you. Absolutely. Yeah, I think high school was definitely the worst of it for me. But it was also a beautiful time for me because I became much more accepting of who I was as a gay young man and really realizing that God had made me that way and that nothing was going to change in that regard. And so from middle school and then going into high school, I just got more and more practice kind of realizing that I could be internally strong in who I was as a child of God and as, you know, a person that I knew really was born this way and that I knew that was something that I was being picked on for something that I couldn't change. And therefore, I knew that it was just really all about my bullies and what they were going through internally and what their issues were. And it was nothing that was going to affect me or change who I was as a person. 
Definitely. It's very interesting. I have a couple of best friends who are mental health therapists. And one of them said to me that we should be really dealing with the mental health of bullies because for them to have a reason to bully others in the first place, this really seems like there might be an issue going on at home, perhaps, or maybe they were bullied by peers beforehand. So it's really interesting that you brought that up. Yeah, one of my favorite Miss Americas from 2013, Mallory Higgins, she was just a guest on another program recently, and she was actually talking about some cyberbullying issues and really talking about this in terms of the home life and, you know, what is indicative of these young people, especially by the time that they're of high school age and they, quote unquote, should know better in terms of exhibiting these kinds of behaviors towards others. But yet, when you look at the home life and what may be going on in the home, you know, maybe parent finding parents that really were not giving these young people a wholesome upbringing, you know, with, you know, households with maybe no moral backbone aside from even any religious background, but just even any moral background of really teaching their their children the difference between right and wrong. And I think sometimes, too, in this day and age, the parents are not as involved with the children when they come home from school. Maybe they're making sure that they're doing their homework, perhaps, if they're even that involved. But other than that, I don't think we're really getting under the hood, so to speak, and finding out, like, what went on with you at school today? Like, how are you feeling? What kinds of interactions did you have today? Like, what? I, I just think there's so many things around that wellness and mental health area that we're not really touching on as a society. And I think our parents maybe are just, you know, busy. They're working perhaps a two-parent household that where both parents are working. They're both getting home from work, trying to figure out something quick for dinner. They're just trying to make sure that their child is getting their homework done and, you know, they have what they need for the next day. And we're not really having those deeper conversations. Yeah, that's very true. There was a video that I had watched recently, and it was a father speaking to a group of fathers about suicide among teenagers. And unfortunately, his son had committed suicide. He kept blaming himself throughout this video. And although it's not his fault, but he kept saying, I didn't have enough conversations with him. I would just ask my son, how are you? And he would say, I'm fine. And I would assume that he's fine. And he went on to say that there is this almost strange fine line that you have when you're talking to your teenagers. If you ask for too much, then they just close up and don't want to tell you anything. But if you don't say enough, then they could end up getting into these situations where their lives are potentially at risk. So it's all about finding that happy medium and not getting into their faces, but you still need to communicate with them in some way and make sure that in their minds and in their hearts and in their souls that they're good, that they're fine. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's so interesting because even though we're talking about kind of being victimized as a bully, you know, it's both sides of that coin, like you're saying, in that with the parenting, right, that the child could either be the victim of bullying and not for whatever reason feel comfortable talking to their parents about it or on the other hand they could be the tormentor and the bully and the and the parent hasn't you know dug under the the sheets and the covers so to speak to really you know find out what's going on with their child and that they may be tormenting another child i'm sure these parents would be horrified to learn that if they didn't know that something like this was happening right in their own you know home 
Yes. And one thing that you see too, specifically with bullying victims everywhere, no matter who they are, mental health issues such as anxiety and depression and suicidal thoughts, it's way too common among them. And I know that I have struggled with that throughout my life. And you said that you have as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think especially during high school and through the first couple years of college, I really struggled with depression. I think I just struggled to figure out where do I fit in and where's my place in the world? And, you know, can I just kind of get through my academic career without worrying about all this other extraneous stuff? And it just really got me down and it affected my academic performance in college. You know, I had been a really good student in high school, but even my guidance counselor had said, you know, that they thought I could have been much closer to the top of the class if I had not been as distracted. There were certainly you know, just definitely things that affected me from an anxiety and depression standpoint that did affect my schoolwork a bit. I still managed to be a pretty good student enough to get into a good college, but definitely struggled with anxiety and depression. And then even into college is where I began to kind of seek help from counseling services that were available at my, at my school and kind of talked about that. And, you know, I remember speaking to counselors and talking about potentially even going on drugs to kind of help with my depression, but ultimately went a different route and decided to do it without drugs or medicine. But I think for people that need it, it's certainly something that is, you know, an option. Certainly speak with, you know, your doctor or professional about that. But I think it definitely is much more common than we realize. That and that is true too. And it's because people don't want to talk about when they're feeling weak. Especially with with our country, we're all about being strong and not letting anything get in the way of us. And so many of us are terrified to talk about anxiety, depression, any kind of mental health illness that we're experiencing. And right on with what you said, it is okay to take medication, but only if you need it. It's not necessary, but if you believe that you need it and you talk to a professional about it and they believe the same, then right on, go for it. That doesn't make you any less of who you are as a person. It doesn't make you any less of a human, as a professional, as a student, whatever your passions are in life, it doesn't make you any less. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I think it's so important for the conversation as a society to really expand. I was so happy recently to see uh, Lady Gaga as part of Oprah's tour that she was doing around the country. I believe Lady Gaga was the first guest in in Oprah's first city, and they had a huge conversation about mental health. I think that Lady Gaga is so brave in really helping to bring that mental health conversation into the mainstream and really making people realize that it's okay to talk about it, and it's okay to admit that you know, you may need help, whatever that is. Maybe you you might need, as you said, as an extreme, you might need medicine, but there are many and most that maybe just need counseling and other avenues of therapies that might be therapeutic, but may not need to involve drugs or medicine. Yes, for sure. So let's say you had an LGBTQ victim of bullying approach you and admit to you that the pain that they're experiencing is leading towards them thinking of suicidal thoughts. What would you say to them? Well, you know, this is such a tough, tough situation. And, you know, we pray that it won't happen. But the reality is we know that it very well could and is certainly something that, you know, still, like you said, is going on. We see it so much still in the media, even though we've come so far. And I would honestly say that I can only share my story of how I overcame those feelings. You know, I didn't quite 
get to the point where I thought I would take my own life, but definitely did think about things like suicide. And luckily, it never got really eminent and severe for me where I thought I wanted to take my own life. But I got to a point where I could see where other people might get to that point because, you know, the bullying got, you know, so bad. And I would really say that for me, what helped me and what I would say to them if they came to me was that you have to get to a point where you realize how special and valuable you are. Even if it's just to one other person in this world, you are special to someone. You are a child of God. You, you know, God made you this way and that you have a special light inside of you. I really believe my LGBTQ brothers and sisters really are special. I think we bring so much to society and the arts and culture and in all areas of life. And so I really think that I would say that once I realized that I had a special light in me, I always felt like I was different, but in a good way and that God made me that way and that I was really meant to to just be a little bit different, to bring a different perspective to every situation and to just be a light in this world. I really believed that I once I believed or once I began to realize how special I was and unique, I used that as my superpower. That was something that made me special and made me really a beautiful person. And so it was all about developing that confidence to really turn the negative into a positive and to turn what Pete thought was a negative into something that for me, I was like, this is my superpower. This makes me special. I'm talented. I have unique abilities. I'm a little bit different. And that's beautiful. And once I began to realize that, that really helped me to not have those anxious and depressed thoughts. And it really helped me to realize that it was the other people's problem and not mine, that they couldn't handle my light. They didn't like the way I was shining. Yes, everything that you brought up, Chris, is wonderful. It's so true that one of the biggest reasons why bullies pick on you is because they're almost fearful of how much you're shining within yourself and putting that shine out there to others. I found that in my personal experience, and it took me so long to realize that. And I really didn't start believing that until my mom told me that in my 20s. And it was probably like the millionth time that she said it. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, this is why it is. Like, I'm not a monster. It's just because I'm shining in a way that other people aren't. And I really was able to accept that and say, well, this is okay. Because this is my way of shining. And everybody has their own specific way of shining. Absolutely. I pray for that realization you know, hopefully a little bit younger than, than you got it. I think I got it a little bit younger. And, you know, certainly the work we're doing here today and the work that you're doing with your efforts, you know, in a broader sense, are really all about that. I think that when students realize that, it can make all the difference. That's so true. With what you said before about acceptance and accepting yourself, that's that really changes your mindset when you're being bullied. It took me so long to accept myself because I was chasing after others for that acceptance. And I even tried to stay friends with people who continuously bullied me. But I was so desperate to simply have friends and to be accepted 
that kept chasing after them. And if I just had learned back then to really accept myself and accept how I shine towards others, I think that my experience would have been a lot less traumatic for me. Yeah, but you're you're paying it forward and we're going to do that for some other people and help them to realize it um, hopefully early on in their their lives and to really be able to cope even better than than we were able to. Right on. So um, we're going to start to wrap up here a little bit, but there's one question that I kind of want to backtrack on a little bit. So you had told me before the show that you had gone through a pretty significant conflict with your religion of Catholicism as a gay man. Now, this aspect of identifying as a member of the LGBTQ community is not really often discussed, but more people are dealing with this situation today than we think. Generally speaking, Catholic churches have an opposing stance on the LGBTQ community. So could you please discuss about how you conquered this difficult experience and then maybe share a piece of advice for LGBTQ youth who believe in God? Absolutely. I think, as I said, that, you know, I realized I was born this way. I was a child of God and that it took me a long time, though. I mean, I read a book called Wrestling with the Angel and it talked about just wrestling with being gay and also being a spiritual person. And I think that what I would say is that you almost have to take it out of any one particular denomination that maybe historically Catholicism hasn't really been accepting of gay people, but, you know, there are pockets of the Catholic church and and certain churches that are welcoming. So I would say, A, if you really, you know, want to stay with Catholicism and find a welcoming church, you can look online and find churches that are in different parts of Catholicism that are more welcoming. But also, I think that it's okay to not necessarily be a particular denomination. I think for me, I needed to realize that I was a spiritual person, that I was, you know, that God loved me no matter what. And that I could have a relationship with God that didn't really necessarily align with a particular religious denomination. And so I think that was what really was the light bulb moment for me was that my relationship with God didn't necessarily depend on going to a particular exact church or, you know, following a particular exact doctrine that only one church was was speaking about. I know that there are other denominations that are more welcoming and have LGBTQ ministers, which is amazing. And so I think that there's definitely other accepting spiritual elements out there. And you just have to look a little bit beyond kind of the box that you may feel like you're in with your particular um, religious experience. That's very true. And that too, even going beyond that, um, for me, I'm a born again Christian. And when my family and I have searched for a church for us to attend and be a member of, we always look for a church that really aligns with our values, with our hearts and with our beliefs. And that's how it works with any with anything, with any kind of issue. If you feel that the minister or the pastor or the priest of your church is maybe saying something that doesn't quite al- align with your values, it's okay to switch to another one where you believe that it does align a little bit more with your values. That does not change your relationship with God. Churches don't necessarily define your relationship. That's what you do for yourself. That relationship is between you and God. Amen, sis. I tell this to to people all the time. Just remember my LGBTQ brothers and sisters and young people, your relationship is with God 
and God alone. It's not with a particular pastor or minister or priest or rector or Sunday school teacher. They may be conduits. They may help you to have a richer relationship with God. But just remember, your relationship with God is yours alone, and only you can decide how that relationship should be and what it means to you. Right on with everything you're saying. Now, looking back on your whole experience as an LGBTQ victim of bullying, how did you overcome it all? And how are you taking action today to eradicate bullying, especially within the LGBTQ community? I absolutely feel like it's my duty now to kind of come full circle and pay it forward. I am a volunteer with the Trevor Project, and uh, certainly for anyone that may be experiencing feelings of crisis or even suicide, the Trevor Project is the world's largest suicide prevention and crisis intervention organization for LGBTQ youth. So definitely, you know, check them out at thetrevorproject.org if you, you know, they have text services and chats services, or you can also call if you want to speak to somebody on the phone, but you also can just text or chat. They're very uh, up with their technology for our LGBTQ youth. But for me, what really helped me to overcome it was was really just realizing that no one was going to dim my light and no one was going to take away from me who I was and that it was, you know, such a core part of who I was as a person that I couldn't change and that I could only change how I reacted to the bullies. And once I kind of compartmentalized it and it really didn't have an effect on me, they don't like that anymore. When you're not, when they're not getting a rise out of you and the reaction that they want, they're going to go look for some, I mean, God forbid, I hope that they wouldn't find somebody else, but they're going to probably stop picking on you because they realize that you're internally stronger than that. You can withstand it. You're, they're not going to get to you. They're not bothering you like they used to. And when you have that strength to know who you are as a person and that you are so special and that your thing that you are being picked on is your superpower, it looks, it's what makes you special, everything will change for you. Truer words have never been spoken, Chris. Really, it hasn't been. The other thing I'd like to add too, on top of the Trevor Project, I have been a longtime supporter of Stump Out Bullying, and they have so many resources out there for LGBTQ youth. So I would really recommend to check out their website. If you or this is a parent of a student who's being bullied, definitely check out Stump Out Bullying because they give a lot of really great information to help cope with your experience. Yeah, I checked them out when you sent me the information uh, about the interview and uh, really a great site, great resource. Yes, definitely. So the last thing that I want to add to just to close off this conversation is, again, as a born-again Christian, everyone, no matter who you are, what you look like, and who you love is a child of God. There's no question that discussing the LGBTQ community is a touchy topic for many, but no matter what side of the aisle you're on, everyone can agree that nobody, and I mean nobody, deserves to be bullied for who they are, what they look like, and who they love. Chris, thank you again for shining your beautiful light of bravery and courage to talk about your story as a victim of bullying. Thank you so much, Jacqueline. It was a pleasure to be with you. As it was for me as well, Chris. My hope is that LGBTQ youth victims of bullying will truly hear your powerful words and be reminded of how special, important, and loved they are. 
Thank you again to all of my listeners for joining me on this episode of One in Five from Bullied to Healed. Until then, be well, my one in fivers. <laughs>